Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The 0-1, swung on and lined to right and deep, and that ball is going to be off the top of the wall and in for a two-run home run. Well, that's what they were saying to him, take the single, and he had a two-run home run to right, a two-run blast. Robbie Cano, don't you know? And the Mets take a 4-2 lead. MLB.com beat reporter Anthony DeComo joins us. He covers the Mets on a daily basis. So, Anthony, first off, what's the reaction around the Mets on Cano being down for the season due to PEDs? Well, I think the reaction always has to be negative. You know, it's not something you want to see with the Mets. It's not something you want to see in the game. So I think that's everyone's first reaction when they see that, especially for a second-time offender. I do think in the Mets specific case, it is interesting in that it doesn't necessarily hurt their roster that much. They have a lot of flexibility. This also gives them some more short-term financial flexibility where they can go in some various different directions here. So obviously a thing nobody wants to see, but from the Mets ability to compete in 2021, I'm not sure how much it affects that. If anything, you could look at this as some more flexibility and creativity for the Mets and I know you've tweeted a number of options for them just at the second base position but also in terms of financial flexibility how do you see this impacting the team's offseason plans well I think it gives them another 20 million dollars essentially to, to play with that's what the Mets would have paid Robinson Cano the other four million of his salary was being paid by Seattle uh, so that's another 20 million dollars where you're not bumping up against the luxury tax and you can do different things for that. You have a very interesting piece on your roster in Jeff McNeil, who is, by the way, a natural second baseman. So he was probably going to play left field for you. If you move him to second, all of a sudden the idea of signing a George Springer and moving Brandon Nimmo to left becomes more realistic. You upgrade defensively at three positions doing that, from Cano to McNeil at second base, from Nimmo going to left field where he's a better defender than he is in center, and, of course, Springer, 
being a star caliber center fielder defensively, you know, you can do various things. And that's just one scenario. The Mets could pop into the DJ LeMahieu sweepstakes if they want to now. They could pop into the Marcelo Zuna sweepstakes now if they want to and have him play left field with McNeil going to second. So various scenarios they could uh, they could consider here. The flexibility is not just financial. It's also in what they can do with the various pieces on their roster. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, November the 22nd, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me personally, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, welcome in everybody. Happy early Thanksgiving as we come to you here on another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Joining me in just a little bit, our friend from Latino Sports and also doing some work now for our friends over at MetsMorizedOnline.com, Rich Mancuso will join me. So we'll uh, we'll wrap up our last show before the Thanksgiving holiday week with, well, hopefully our last show. <laughs> we'll see if the Mets make some news, but We'll wrap up our last show before the Thanksgiving holiday with our friend Rich Mancuso. We haven't heard from him in a while, and uh, a lot to talk about. And as you heard on the clip coming in, just when Mets karma gets bad, it's it's not that bad. So the news comes down, and I got to admit, I was surprised about Robinson Cano getting pinched for a second failed steroids test, a PED test, and... He's now going to be suspended for a year, and we will not see Robinson Cano until 2022, if ever. You know, I'm sure he's going to try to come back and collect his money. I don't, I don't see him walking away now that he lost 36. Think about it. He lost 36 million dollars to steroids. Amazing what players and athletes will do. And um, I don't even know where to go with the decision making. I mean, to me, that's the first thing. I, I was looking up. Uh, it's you know. This basically is a horse tranquilizer that he got, uh, or steroid use for horses, breast cancer. Maybe tranquilizer is a bad bad word, but Stanzolo, like I never know how to pronounce the thing, Stanzolo, LOL at the end, because that's really what it comes down to. Uh, unless there's something, and, and players always seem to come up with an excuse saying, I used it for this, this, and this. This is a very old steroid. I mean, this is like one of the original performance-enhancing drugs that players would use back in the 90s. And I was reading that there was articles, uh, you know, back five years ago where those in the doping business were like, well, why are players using this? They're easy to detect these this kind of particular steroid. It stays in your system. And it almost, you know, begs the question, and, and you heard this. It was interesting because Joel Sherman had tweeted this out that because of COVID, because of all the things that the league had to do to make sure they got through the season and didn't hit any of the triggers that public health uh, deemed important, I guess the testing went down. And possibly, I don't think Cano is the only one, possibly there are players out there that saw this as an opportunity to 
slip on past the goalie, so to speak, or drive by the cops a little faster than normal because they're not paying attention and come away with something. Is it because of the short season, the start and the stop? Is it because he's getting into his late 30s? And I've been saying this, the big thing I thought about Cano when he was struggling is that he couldn't catch up to a fastball, so he tried to start a little earlier. And when that happens, he's out in front. He's, you know, you've seen a lot of those four threes to second base or first base. But um, look, to us to spend a whole hour talking about decision makings and rail against steroids, that's a waste of your time and my time. I'm not going to do that. Ultimately, the reason I said when the karma is bad, but it's also good for the Mets, this is about money and savings. It really is. Uh, and they're going to need it now because don't discount the offensive production that's lost here. Yes, Cano, because of the emergence of Jeff McNeil, because what the team needed two years ago when Brody Van Wagenen took over and he needed to make a splash and, and kind of get the Mets brand moving in the right direction with that pitching that they wanted to leverage and try to win with. Uh, you know, he was a bad fit on the defensive end at second base. You saw how Louis Rojas was, and give him credit because I'm sure Cano wasn't crazy about this, but uh, he was bringing in Andres Jimenez for defense as early as opening day in the seventh inning. Uh, but it, but he was their best hitter or second best hitter for periods. I mean, he was very much their best hitter, maybe the first 20 games of the 2020 pandemic season. And when you lose someone who in 50 games hit 10 home runs, drove in 30 runs, that's a guy that's on pace for 3,100, 144 OPS+. plus. Now, you and I both know normal season, the ebbs and the flows, kind of very well may come down, but let's say even did a, you know, 115, 120 OPS plus, let's say, you know, 18 home runs, 75 RBIs. I mean, lefty bat, veteran bat, guy who's been through the wars. There's a value to that. And now they don't have that particular uh, player anymore. Also in 2019, when he started getting hot, when he got off to the awful start, got hot down the stretch after August, Mets took off, had one of their best runs in franchise history next to 1986. If they had any kind of first half, we all know what 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 that what what 2019 could have looked like, and maybe the course of history is still different. Now the question is always going to be, before we get to the whole thing about the Mets, the question is still going to be: Is he still a Hall of Famer? And you and I both know that the current, not the current, well the the the, the Hall of Fame voting makeup is changing. It's going younger, different progressive ideals, more statistically advanced. The ethics component of the Hall of Fame, which has always been an issue with me because it's such a it's such a uh, it's such a judgmental way to look at people. I think it's very hard when you're trying to judge performance in a sport to start parsing out their personal uh you know makeup. Because what you you know, other than some obvious things, we could kind of go down a rabbit hole with ethics when it comes to ball players. I still think he's a Hall of Famer. He's not. He wasn't a shoe in, uh, but he's eighth all time in WAR for second baseman, second in home runs. He probably would have passed Jeff Kent in the next year, or maybe next year, no later than twenty. Even playing moderately, you know, maybe two hundred fifty, three hundred at bats, I think he would stop popping home runs. He comps this Ryan Sandberg and Lou Whitaker, Robbie Alomar. Whitaker's not a Hall of Famer. The other two are, uh, you know, Whitaker, you know, is a guy that everybody thinks that should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, he's not Joe Morgan level, but he's certainly in the next tier. Chase Utley probably will get into that conversation at some point. So, to me, 
keeping him out of the Hall of Fame, that's down the road. That's 10 years down the road. He's still got a couple of years left on that contract. We'll see what comes out of it. Now, the good news of all this is the Met, this is where the Mets' karma really is. And maybe this is where, you know, and you're seeing with how slow-moving the president and GM searches is going because of the time of the year that the Mets are trying to put everything together. I supported keeping the, the current front office in place. But with Brody Van Wagenen in charge, this would be exponentially worse. If this was not the Steve Cohen era, this was still Jeff Wilpon, Wilpon ownership, Brody Van Wagenen, Mets would be getting killed. Mets would be getting killed. And 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 the knives would have been out, and it would not have stopped, and it would have ruined the entire offseason. And very well could have led to Brody Van Wagenen getting fired sooner rather than later, because I think Jeff Wilpon would have been the one to point the finger at him. You're his former agent. You told me that this wasn't going to be an issue. Away you go. Remember, he acquired Cano based on the resources and the rules of engagement that he had back in 2018. A short window to win with pitching, limited budget, a budget that moved constantly. We've been down that road. I don't want to hear about Kelnick. It was never about Kelnick and Cano. We've said this a thousand, a million, a trillion times. That was Swarzak and Bruce dumping those contracts and trying to turn that into maybe uh, a back half of his career Hall of Famer who still had something left in the tank that had won and been successful in New York. I mean that that's it was not Diaz was the Kelnick trade. That's the debate. The good news is this: the Mets really can absorb this blow and and move forward because they have Cohen money. They lost, they lost an integral part to their offense. Maybe not a great fit, 100%, but an integral part. You don't just lose this kind of player, like I said, and, and there's not repercussions. They now have not only the $24 million that's off the books. You could even say they're getting a check from the Mariners for $4 bucks. Maybe they use that for some smaller signings. So the, the news is good. Think about this. If this was just one thing changed, ownership Wilpon versus ownership Cohen— this whole situation takes a whole different turn. The whole season takes a whole different turn. The cloud continues to hang over the Mets. I think the team right now is able to withstand these kind of negative uh, pieces of information, this negative attention, and move forward. And really, from a media point of view, you don't see very much angst against the Mets. A few little shots here and there against Van Wagenen. Um, but they never liked him because he was an agent to begin with, and he wasn't part of the club that they deemed. So that's a story for a different different day. What this does mean to me, and we're going to take a quick break because we're going to get into the front office because this really ties into it, but can this lead to now not signing just one, but two of the big fish? Now, I had it as the big three, Bauer, Real Muto, Springer. Maybe a DJ LeMahieu has some more I read. Maybe DJ LeMahieu should be in that big fish this market. Is Marcelo Zuna, who to me is a clumsy fit, good bat, but again, a corner outfielder. Catcher, defense up the middle, which includes center field pitching. You have to stay within that realm. McNeil now could be a second baseman, but McNeil could play a number of positions. Do you? I don't change my position. You should be going after Bauer before all this. Now that you have $24 million, is LeMahieu, who in a vacuum would be my next choice to kind of go with Bauer. Good hitter, diversified hitter, not just a swing and miss home run guy. Uh, good guy, a guy that I had, if you remember, I had advocated a couple of years ago 
when he was in Colorado for the Mets looking at before they had gone the route of Cano, before McNeil emerged as possibly a second base option. Because um, they, they started the Struble Cabrera at that time. A uh, little concern with LeMahieu being attached to the Yankees. You're probably going to have to overpay to get him away from the Yankees. Um, it's not going to be something where he makes the choice and it's even and he's going to go to the Mets. And, you know, I know everybody loves Steve Cohen and you hear Bauer's agent and the players and Syndergaard all waxing poetic. Not every player cares about that. I think LeMayo would fall into that. He's had success and the Yankees gave him a shot. So I think that's less realistic. And I certainly think signing LeMayo requires severe overpay, which, look, who knows what the back half in his 30s uh, looks like. These two seasons in New York with the Yankees are outliers. He's always been a good hitter, even in Colorado, but he was a below league average to league average hitter going into his Yankees tenure. Hence why at that point, Jed Lowry was a better signing when you looked at it statistically on paper than LeMahieu, but he brings a defensive component and that's a guy I would look at. Now, I don't think he's realistic. So then the real question is with the extra money, does that allow you to feel more comfortable putting it into the catcher? behind the plate, which they desperately need in Real Muto, and the leadership that Real Muto brings, or do you go up the middle and now really, because McNeil is needed at second base, and I'm much more open to Springer now in center, although I know he profiles as a corner, as long as you're not compromising Brandon Nimmo, because then you have Brandon Nimmo, you have Springer in center, Conforto in right, McNeil at second, you have your Pete at DH with Dom Smith the first, back and forth. You have the shortstop competition with Rosario Jimenez and then J.D. Davis right now at third base. And then you have to probably go more value-driven catcher. Not a bad not a bad uh, place to be. Certainly, again, long range because you're going to sign him to a long-term contract. There's shifts and ramifications uh, about all that. So really, you know, with these guys, how much do you have to overpay? Who really wants to be here? Who wants the money? And who really wants? Because I think, and, and I'll get to that after the break right now, you really need to look at New York and who wants to be here, who wants to live here, wants to be involved with this and be part of the media pressure and the expectation to win, which now the Mets have that. They've always had because, they, like Steve Phillips has said, the Mets always have had the toughest job in this city because they get compared to the Yankees. They're not the Yankees. They didn't have the resources of the Yankees. But they were expected to win like the Yankees. Now they have the resources of the Yankees. And they're going to be expected to win like the Yankees. And they don't have the back the history and tradition. Makes it even more impossible. And I'll give you one other thing. Ex-Yankees, and I said this about, about Cano when he came here. Do not get a lot of rope to hang themselves here. So when you come here and you had success. Now LeMay was a little different because he was only there a couple of years. But he's tied to the Yankees. When you come here and you come over to the Mets and you do, you have that Yankee resume and that Yankee stink on you, just like Willie Randolph, and you don't perform, you get treated exponentially worse. Just fact. It's always going to be that way because of the different dynamic between the two teams and what the media has created, the rift between the fans, because they like that rift, the media. They've created that with the narratives and what have you, so... Anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Mets are having trouble filling the GM and president's role. This is not as big of a deal as it normally would be. I'd be very concerned, and I was concerned, and maybe I got to do a little mea culpa. I still have concerns about Sandy Alderson and Rico and the band getting back together, potentially. 
But the fact that you have a professional in Sandy Alderson makes it much easier to navigate this. And that's why I'm not concerned. And this offseason will not be judged by the process in the organization for the next five years, but by how they can make a splash, a responsible splash, and win now without compromising the future. So let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk more about that right after this. What's the latest with the search as we currently stand? You know, John, the latest is that there isn't a whole lot of latest. The only known interview or interview scheduled remains the one uh, of Michael Hill, the former president of baseball ops for the Marlins. There's been some talk about Indians GM Mike Chernoff. My information is uh, that there's no Chernoff interview scheduled. May happen, may not happen. Uh, Really, so this is something that is an important hire, to say the least, for Sandy Alderson and for Steve Cohen, something that they want to get right, and it's not something that's necessarily on the verge of happening. The Mets have wanted to get this done prior to whatever virtual winter meetings will be uh, this year, you know, by the end of this month or early next month. Not sure it's on that pace at this point. We'll see. Uh, But it's moving deliberately right now. But, Andy, how realistic is it that the Mets could still make free agent signings or trades before a president of baseball operations is actually in place? Totally realistic. In fact, from talking to agents every day, uh, they're hearing from the Mets a lot. The Mets, one of the the major benefits of having Sandy Alderson back aboard, John, is that he was obviously the GM for so many years, so he could just do that. He has John Ricco, who is basically his assistant GM, who was his assistant GM, in many ways was a Mets GM uh, type figure for for those later years of Alderson's tenure here. So they, they can go ahead and pursue free agents, pursue trades, They're not in any way handicapped by the fact that they haven't hired this president yet, and they are doing that business. They are calling agents, calling teams, and and doing the work of building that 2021 roster. All right, we're back. So as you heard in that clip, just because the Mets don't have a president of baseball operations, just because the Mets have yet to hire a GM, the Mets are still making things happen. I mean, you have a former GM and who knows the organization and Sandy Alderson at the helm. You have John Ricco there, who's an administrative guy but knows contracts, but has navigated uh, the situation. So they're not at a total disadvantage, although let's face it, the Mets haven't had a really normal process of hiring outside of really the managerial situation last year for a while. Brody Van Wagenen, they didn't hire a GM until after the season back in 2018. They probably should have started, not the probably, they should have started back in July when Sandy Alderson stepped down. Uh, now they have the ownership change. It doesn't happen until after the World Series. Obviously, Steve Cohen was in contact with Alderson before that, but you really can't get the ball ro- moving on hires when you don't know if the ownership situation would go through, which is a whole other conversation that should never have been the situation that waited that long. But not so much from a financial aspect, but from baseball getting things moving. But anyway, so what is this going to lead to? And I've said this on Twitter, and everybody throws names out, David Frost and Jared Porter and Chernoff and Stearns with Milwaukee. All we know is that Cohen would want somebody who has experience. So maybe that puts a different bundle of candidates. You take these candidates, you throw their name in a hat. I think all of them have done nice things. All of them come from organizations that have been able to the names you're hearing have done nice things, whether it be on analytics or player development or going far with a limited budget. This is about Cohen's money. This is about Alderson's vision of the organization, and that's what's going to determine whether this works or not. 
you could pick those names out of a hat. It's to me, it's six of one, half dozen of another. Yes, if you had brought in a Theo Epstein or maybe a Brian Cashman or somebody like that to run your uh, baseball operations, that's a, maybe a game changer, depending on how you look at it. But let's face it, those guys, I don't think anybody's going to make the switch, at least not now. You don't want to rush this. You want to just put somebody in there because you need somebody. There's no reason why they can't sign free agents. And I know what you're saying. Well, don't you want the new guy to have his own people? This is Sandy Alderson, and then you're going to go. It's an, it's truly a management team. This is not a guy coming in who you hire that's going to have, I'm not going to say he's not going to have autonomy, but he's going to, you know, Sandy wants to have say. He said that. And I don't think anybody hand, coming in being handed a Trevor Bauer or JT Realmuto or a DJ LeMahieu or a George Springer is going to argue. Because the payroll situation, at least now, is fluid. Now, certainly you don't want to go out and sign a guy to a 10-year, $300 million deal like George Springer. That's irresponsible. They're not going to do that. I don't believe you should rush it. I don't think it's going to change the offseason all that much because I think this offseason is about free agency. This idea that you can make trades and the trades that are being proposed are laughable. The Mets don't have the pitching to make a deal. They don't have the young pitch. They have it. They can't give it really give it up. The guys that you'd have to include in the deal, like a Jeff McNeil, like a Dom Smith, like a Pete Alonso, you might be robbing Peter to pay Paul. Guys like Lindor and Arenado who are free agents, you don't know if they want to sign here. Just because the Mets have money doesn't mean this is where they want to play. And I'm not sure any of these guys and having those kind of uh, risky trades you're, are the right move. You're making the same mistake that you criticized Brody Van Wagenen for doing when he came in and right away made a riskier trade by giving up one of the top prospects of the organization in the Diaz Cano deal. So you're you're advocating for something or want something that quite honestly is what got them into trouble a couple of years ago, more of a necessity a couple of years ago, not a necessity now. So I'm not one that's going to, people say, who do you prefer? I really don't have an opinion on this because you know why? They're all the same. Stearns, Chernoff, they're all, every name you hear is cut from the same cloth. More Ivy League coming from organizations that have been doing more with less. You got a Bobby Heck from Tampa. If you're getting someone from the Tampa organization, Cleveland, Oakland, they're certainly going to have some good qualifications. They've made the playoffs and they've been more successful as a team in those organizations and with their player development than the Mets have been in the last five, six, seven years. And that includes Alderson years. So anybody he brings in has to be an upgrade. Now, do I want the band back? Do I want the Ricciardi? I don't think Ricciardi really would. He's been pretty mouthy. He's always a good guy with the with the press. I don't think they're going to go that route. They got Rico. They got Alderson. So they got two out of the four original guys that were part of this thing when Alderson took over in 2010. And to me, that's quite enough. I mean, right now. Now, that's not your long-term situation. But right now, that's enough. Also, keep in mind, New York money is great. But... You got to come live here. You can't Zoom this job. I already heard that nonsense on Twitter. You can't Zoom your GM job. You got to know your organization. You got to know your people. You got to get a feel of everything. And I know you can't necessarily do that 100% now. I get that. But you have to do that. So to me, if you're going to Zoom somebody in just to have somebody, then have Alderson do it. It's going to be an interesting offseason because depth is a big thing. You're already seeing the Mets work on that. And I don't know if that's something that you have to worry about today. What you have to worry about today 
is getting the big fishes that may not wait around till February, March. Because they're going to have anxiety, these guys, if they start to see get close to spring training. And they may cut a deal. So you might want to jump in at the right time. The Sam McWilliams and the guys that you see is being signed, I, I, I got to think with their scouting department, with Rico around, you could muster something together. It will be interesting to see if they'll be veterans. You saw Yonder Alonso retire. Veterans might not want to play. They got their money. They may not want to play or come back and try to win a job because that's what's going to happen with some veterans. They're going to have to win jobs in an environment where they don't know what their minor league season is going to look like and, and in the midst of a pandemic and COVID and, and all the rules and restrictions. They may not want to deal with that. I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. So to me, uh, let's just take a step back. Let's not freak out. Let's not get crazy about this search because I don't think it's going to change anything in the short term. It certainly will change things in the long term because in the long term, it's about the vision of Alderson and Cohen and how these guys that they hire fit into that vision. These guys are not coming in building the vision. That was made clear when Cohen hired Alderson. This is going to be Alderson's baby, his vision for the next two years. And then those guys that come in will be part of that. So he's going to find somebody that is going to be who he wants. And in the interim, he can continue to execute that same vision that they're going to want to buy into because that's the kind of guy he's going to bring in anyway. So it's, it's quirky. It's clunky. It's not ideal. It, there's going to be gaps. I think you cannot make trades effectively under this situation. Maybe you miss some, some low-lying fruit. You certainly don't have your analytics department and your long-term infrastructure in place. But that's never been about right now. Right now, it's about leveraging this roster and starting the process of winning and making the tournament and then building upon that over months and years to be that franchise that quote-unquote Cohen wants them to be iconic. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll talk about those words because I have a feeling we're going to hear a lot of that in the near future. And let's take a step back. Before we worry about the Mets becoming iconic, you got to start to win and win consistently first. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Only one team wins the World Series every year, right? So that's a pretty high bar. Mm -hmm. But if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, you know, I'd like to make it sooner. Then, then you know, obviously, you know, I would consider that slightly disappointing. Yeah, Andy, I just thought rarely do you hear anybody say that and i sandy's reactions to it were, were funny he basically said no, that's a little bit scary uh mm-hmm. because he's won one uh and it was 31 years ago so uh i just thought that was really interesting lots to unpack there uh you know it just occurred to me that i didn't even think of when i heard it was i just thought it, it interesting observation when Alderson talked about winning the 1989 World Series, he said, we've won a World Series once in my time in the game. And Cohen said, I'm going to win a World Series. So I, I thought that was an interesting contrast between the collective and then the individual way to think of that. Uh, I thought more broadly that if you, all right, gosh, it's so hard to know where to start here. There's a fascinating moment. I'll say this. If you want to be the East Coast Dodgers, uh, as as we've said that, and then uh, Cohen himself pointed to the Dodgers now as, as a model organization, the Guggenheim Group bought the Dodgers in 2012, immediately infused them with resources, made them perennial contenders, all kinds of NLCS appearances. Dodgers are good at just about every year under that ownership, but it took them until 2020 to win a World Series because World Series are inherently fluky and almost impossible to engineer. It's a tough goal to have. And I'll say that within the industry, winning the World Series is not really a goal. It's, un, it's, it's a nice, wonderful thing to have happen, 
but I think it probably means more to fans and players than it does to front offices, generally speaking. Uh, the, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Dodgers are generally regarded as the top three smartest and most successful uh, organizations in the game. How many championships combined do those franchises have over the past 11 years? All right, we're back. And before we get to Rich Mancuso, uh, have him uh, on hold and just get to him in a, in a couple of minutes. But I wanted to just to make a point. So you heard from Andy Martino and Doug Williams, who do a nice job on the Shea Anything podcast. And it was a conversation that came up during the well, after the press conference. And I think it's important to tie into everything because it ties into the Mets going out there trying to simultaneously hire a baseball operations department and also go after some big fish that are out there in free agency. And I know that everyone's disappointed and I saw people say it's so slow out there and, and well, there's a big decisions that have to be made on both the financial front, the personal front. I know that you want to be entertained with baseball because everybody's stuck at home, but you know, let's remember it's, it's, it's bigger, bigger things at play here. These are people's lives. So the question is, the Mets want to become an iconic franchise, and, and when does that? what does that look like, and, and how does that look? So um, let's, 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 start, let's start here. Martino brings up the Guggenheim group and the Dodgers and how the Dodgers have, it took them eight years to win a World Series. But what really, getting to the point where you're the Dodgers and where you're looked at as a model franchise or the Yankees, it doesn't happen overnight. With the Yankees, it started in 1996 when a generation of baseball fans, young baseball fans, fell in love with a team that was a flawed team, that was a team full of some characters, that it was a team that you could really get behind and root for in that 96 postseason. And that's where it all started. A lot of luck in that. There was a lot that could have happened that could have went the wrong way. But they had that moment, and they leveraged it, and then they built upon it two years later with that iconic team, and then away you go where... They pretty much make the postseason every year, except for a couple of years in the last, you know, what, 25 or whatever. And even those years where they had down years like 2008 and 2015, for some organizations, those would be considered good years where they just missed the playoffs and would be seasons to build upon. The Mets haven't had that moment. Now, they had it in 2015, and they didn't leverage it. They didn't leverage it for obvious reasons, financial wherewithal, and then so much not-so-obvious reasons, I think because... The management team they had in place, specifically on the field, did a bad job of trying to get that team to the next level with Collins and Worth. And old story, not worth repeating. So the Mets need to now, that's in the past. Now what is their first step of relevancy? They have to get some excitement. They have that initially with the Cohen press conference and the idea of spending. But until you start executing and spending and bringing guys in, and building a team that could compete and win because you you have the luxury of not coming into a situation where this is a cupboard is bare five-year rebuild. You don't have that position right now. You have pieces here. You have good bones on this team. You have to go out. You have to spend and compete and try to win first while simultaneously, and this is what I've been saying for years, build your farm system, build your infrastructure, build your analytics. You know, you want to improve all the other non-baseball related things like marketing and, you know, whatever, ticket sales, ballpark experience. That's that's not for this program right now. That's a separate conversation. But that's what you do. It starts with winning. That's the only way you become iconic is winning. But rebuilds and analytics and fancy mission statements and press conferences, 
they're sugar rushes. They'll give you a couple of nice hours of energy, but then by noon, you, you need a nice meal because you're starving. And right now, you're still on the sugar rush. You're still on the Steve Cohen press conference, Twitter, honeymoon period. So it is critical for the Mets for both the short term and the long term. The short term is go out there and reel in a couple of big fish. Long term, build your baseball ops department. Build your structure. You, you, you tethered to Sandy Alderson. When Steve Cohen made that decision, and, and probably now looking at it, based on how difficult it is to get people rustled away from current jobs, it, it might have been the best situation possible. Guy who knows the game, guy has been around the game a long time, has knows the organization, has, has navigated it, probably, not probably, definitely stale from the baseball perspective for a couple of years, but he's got Rico with him. He's got some of his scouts and whatnot. Um, what you're seeing is probably why it would have maybe made sense to do a more of a nuanced approach to changing the front office and keeping some of the guys that were let go, but I understand now. And a lot of ways, going back to what I initially said in the open, with Van Wagenen still around, this Cano thing would have been a lot worse. As you can see, purging the Will Pond situation, and Van Wagenen was tied to that, as much as I think he could help right now, um, would you know made this kind of go away right away. I mean, nobody's we're talking about it, and we'll, we we we're over it. We're already talking about other things. It's not this in the old days. This is the full show. So how do, it's not? I, I I laugh when I hear Martino, and I'm not criticizing him, but I laugh. Oh, well, the Dodgers eight years, that three to five year time frame is aggressive by Cohen. Well, I would say this. If they don't win a World Series in five years, every year they don't win, you walk away somewhat disappointed. It doesn't mean you didn't have a good experience. And I'm not talking about loser talk here. You know, what does the season look like? Is it progress? Is it competitive? Did they give you a nice run? There's so much that goes into play into winning a championship. You could have a 108-win team like the Mets in 86 did, and you needed a ball to roll through the legs of the first baseman to get there. That same team almost lost to Mike Scott in the NLCS. You could have the Mets at 88 who lost to a Dodgers team that had a guy named Mickey Hatcher who probably that whole lineup couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag, beat them. Anything can happen. So you can't plan for all this. You can't have if-then and organizational uh, protocols to hit every point you're going to meet in the postseason. The 2015 Mets probably shouldn't have went to the World Series. The Dodgers were one of the teams they beat. Bounce here, bounce there. Game five, DeGrom gets taken out. DeGrom melts down in the first inning. Maybe it's the Dodgers winning a pennant and a World Series in 15, not the Mets, not the Royals. So let's not get into what's acceptable, what's disappointing. Clearly, if they have a losing stretch and and a sub-500 second division run in the next near future, I think that would be very disappointing for the owner. Uh, I think it'd be really, I think a lot has to go wrong for that to happen, and it could. But ultimately, you want to be able to, and it starts right now with the win-now mode with this current front office. Win-now, get into the tournament, get the, build on this, leverage this excitement, and then worry about the iconic status. To get to be iconic, you have a lot that has to happen. A lot of winning, a lot of years have to go by. That's 10 years away, if that. And maybe you're not even considered iconic because you're very good and you get to the playoffs a couple of years, and a couple of years you fall short. Another year you have injuries, another year you do well. Are the Cubs iconic? No, but they got a championship. And they had a nice run, and the fans still love the Cubs, and they're still going to love the Cubs, and they'll be good again. No one's bad forever. Uh, would you love to have what the Red Sox have? I told you that. I've always been jealous of Boston. You'd love to have what the Red Sox have. 
how they've had this run for 20 years and how they leveraged and how the Mets are very similar. I said that in the last podcast where the Red Sox were around 2000, 2001, 2002. So let's not get caught up in putting these goals of winning championships. That's always the goal. It's about taking opportunities and maximizing them. And I think you could do that with money. I think you have enough here to build a team for 2021. And while you're building that team for 2021, start to put the pieces in place. But don't rush. Don't settle with your baseball ops department. You know, it's you got to have a baseball ops department, but don't rush it. Does it have to be by Thanksgiving? It's got to be soon, but not at the expense of the right person. That's what I would say. Even if that means to take to January, you've got guys already now. You don't need a genius to sign Trevor Bauer. I can do that for them. Sandy could do that. He doesn't need anybody to do that. Rico could do that. You need to have the process play out. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Mancuso, New York Sports Day, MetsmorizedOnline.com, Latino Sports, good friend of the program. Let's get his thoughts. Robbie Cano, what free agents would he sign? And all of the Mets-related things right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back, and I'm joined by good friend of the program, Rich Mancuso. You guys can check him out at a plethora of locations, Latino Sports, New York Sports Day, MetsmorizedOnline.com. He's so good at what he does. There's there's a fight over who could get his work first, and uh, he's always been a good friend of the show. And Rich, here's what I'll start off with. Thanksgiving week, we're talking New York Mets baseball. We're not talking Giants football, Jets football, Knicks and free agency. We're talking Mets baseball, not even Yankees baseball. And what better way? Two New York guys. You got the Bronx and Manhattan covered. I got Staten Island and Long Island covered. So between our two accents, between our two accents, we can we can pretty much get it going over here. So happy Thanksgiving, happy early Thanksgiving, and how you doing? Uh, Mike, same to you. Uh, hanging in there, and I hope everybody who Listen to your podcast is doing okay and staying safe as well. Hey, it's been, look, uh, we're doing the best I can. With, uh, you know, it's uh, working from home now. It's not going out to the ballpark or even me covering boxing at ringside. But there's an advantage to working at home. There's a disadvantage, but you get it done. And it's Mets baseball. That's all we're hearing, right? Yeah. I mean, since Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson had their press conference, I mean, Mets karma, and I said this in the open, Mets karma – you can't ask for more good karma, at least now, and it's short term. But uh, when a bad thing happens, like Robinson Cano gets pinched for steroids. Um, look, I said in the open, he's he had a good season. It's not It doesn't come without a downsize. You don't just walk away from a bat like that and not have repercussions. But not only do the Mets save money, they have money coming to them from Seattle that they could use. And now, Rich you possibly could be in on not just one, but two of the big fish free agents, depending on who you consider a big fish. So even in a bad situation, it's actually good. Oh yeah. Everything is right now in their favor. Of course, they have the money like they never had before. And, you know, now with Cano, it only adds to the fun. I mean, this is the most 
interesting, uh, exciting offseason. I could think in Mets history, I don't remember something that's going to be something like this, even in a pandemic time that we're going through, Mike. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting how one person can change the dynamite, the complexion of the whole thing. And that was the anticipation of a new owner and, and Steve Owen with his billion-dollar checkbook, as well as having the right guy right behind him with, with Sandy Alderson will be calling all the shots. I, why I, you know, Everybody asks why I call Sandy the master. Well, that's why, because he brings all those years of experience. And, you know, he listened to the Wilpons before, had to say what they wanted to tell him. Now he, he's, that's Cone's guy, so he's got total reign and trust, and in the end, it's going to show, and the baseball world knows. Everyone I've talked to in baseball, and many people, uh, executives, top-level management people, so forth, they've all told me the Mets have moved in the direction that's going to change the complexion of everything, and I think that's going to begin soon. I think it's even going to be soon before Sandy could put a director of baseball operations and a front office in place. He, he might move ahead before even getting to that. So all good things ahead, Mike. I agree. And Rich Mancuso uh, joining me here now about the front office. And I do want to get to Cano, but let's put that aside for a minute, but about the front office, I know that this is probably going a little bit slower than Sandy Alderson wanted Cohen wanted. I know the fans thought by now it's Thanksgiving week. They'd have, a director of baseball operations and a GM in place. But let's remember a couple of things. The sale didn't happen until the first week of November. Um, a lot of moving parts have to happen. People are people. They have families. They have jobs. They have major career decisions. Uh, this it might not happen right away. And, and I think you have John Rico. You have Sandy in charge. Yes, I don't think long-term Sandy's a baseball guy. And I said that. I was very critical of that. I don't think any – and he was honest about that. He said that at the press conference. But in the short term, this offseason's about free agency. The Building the iconic team, the farm system, the analytics, that takes many weeks, months, years. And they have time for that. But in the interim, they have an opportunity to win and start the process of turning this brand around, turning this team around. And I don't see why between Sandy Alderson, Cohen, and John Rico – that you can go out and figure out what you got to give Trevor Bauer. You could go out and figure out if DJ LeMay, who really wants to leave the Yankees, you could figure out George Springer versus Real Muto, or if you want to throw Marcelo Zuna, whatever. That's what this is about right now. And you know what? Sandy can handle that. Don't rush the front office search because I don't think there's any branch Ricky out there. No, no, you got to take your time. You have to write that, the right people in place. You know, and, you, and you're hearing all types of names. And to tell you the truth, I really have a name of zero in more uh, than uh, a couple of names that I brought up in an article I wrote on Mets MMO last week, Mike. Um, you have to get the right personnel. We've known that all along. And that's why this search is so important. It's about the future here right now. And it's got to be people that Sandy knows. And he's got names that he's got in mind that from what we've heard, we even heard uh, Hill's name, the guy with the Marlins and Owens from the A's that he's worked with before. Uh, Chernoff, I heard, you know, when we've all heard, uh, he's going to stay where he is in Cleveland. Um, so, you know, who it's going to be, how many, and who the names are, that remains to be seen. The thing to keep in mind is this, is – 
whoever comes in now will have more flexibility than someone who's never been there before. And if Sandy wanted to do it himself, he could. He could re- assume the role as GM, but I think he just wants to direct the traffic and to have the right uh, person to do that would be Sandy Ellis. Direct all the traffic. And also a main point of whoever runs this is going to be rebuilding that whole minor league system that the, that was depleted with the prospects. You know, and that's a big thing. Baseball now is not only getting filling the pieces with the free agent or two that the Mets are going to do for sure, but you have to build from within that wins that that makes winning ball clubs. And, and we've seen that over the years with the Cubs. We've seen that. Hey, we've seen that with Tampa Bay right now. We've, we've seen it with the Marlins, what they're doing, what Jeter's doing. So they, they got to restructure a whole minor league system in particular pitching. And they, that's going to be major emphasis, baseball operations to restructure that whole minor league system that the front office will do and then fill in the pieces. But who is it going to be? That is that that's the, right now uh, a question. Who is going to be working on the Sandy? And I would assume Luis Rojas, but more indications from that press conference two weeks ago that Sandy had. Uh, will remain as the manager, and he deserves to stay. He deserves to get another year to give it under a new regime. I like I, and people don't like me here, you know, saying this. And and I, I said, you know, Theo Epstein's not going to come here. He doesn't want to be a GM no. right now. He's he's decompressing. I made the joke. There's no Branch Ricky, but there really is. There isn't this game changing executive out there. Maybe Sandy Alderson. And again, I've been critical of Sandy, but. He's a good organization management guy. Maybe he's the game-changing executive going out the door. If you put a blanket over all these guys' names or put the names in a hat and pick two out, you know, this is your baseball director, this is your GM, I just don't see much of a difference because it starts with money now. You're not in a rebuild. You're rebuilding facets of the organization. And and, And I know Cohen wants someone experienced, so maybe that weighs it a little bit differently. But there's also a lot of factors here. You know, does somebody want to come to New York? Rich, you and I are longtime New Yorkers. This is not always the easiest place to live. No, it's expensive. Um, yeah. There's family and kids. Oh, you know, I hear people say, well, you could just zoom it in. Stop, stop, stop. You need to be around the ballpark. You need to be around your front office. You need to be around your organization. You can't mail in managing people. You can't do it. Maybe you could do it for a little bit, but you can't as a new hire. You have to be in New York. You have to be here. And there's going to be a hesitation to people all of a sudden taking on this job because here's the real rub. Forget about taxes and safety and quality mm. of life. You are now – a job that Steve Phillips said was hard because you had the expectations of the Yankees without the money now has the expectations of the Yankees with the money, without mm. the iconic pinstripes. This is not – this is a very big decision – and if you're talking about a big promotion, easy decision. You're talking about an incremental promotion, which in some cases with some of these big names, it is not so big, you know, not so small of a decision. You know, it's, it's a big decision yeah. at that time. It, it so really what, what, are you, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Um, it, because it, it's, as I just said moments ago, Mike, it's about the futurist organization who's going to direct it. And, and and it also could be someone that would take over Sandy's job when he says that enough is enough. I've, I gotta, I have to uh, give this up now. I've had the career, I've done my job, and I have to say goodbye. So it might be somebody that's got to succeed Sandy in that role. 
got to be someone with a baseball mentality. It's got to be, especially in this market of New York, you, 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 you're competing against the Yankees all the time. And now you have to have the proper baseball personnel that can top that Yankee mindset. And of course, when you have the money, you have the resources to do it. And that's the major distinction here from years with the Mets now. You have the resources. That's why this is a whole game changer. That's why it changes the complexion of everything. Changes the complexion of Mets, Yankees in New York, and all of baseball. Because, Mike, you've seen it. The Steve Cohn purchase of this team has created such a buzz around the game. Everyone's looking at the Mets now instead of saying, no to the Mets, you know, now everybody's right. looking at the positives and how the Mets are becoming, the, will be the game changer. And look, assume this all is going to happen. We expect it and it should, uh, but we see this now as a complexion and a change of the whole game and how ball play, how players, free agents now, and I've talked to some, some ball, some of the players out there on the free agent market and they said they'd love to play here. Will they get the same money that they that that uh, that they would be getting pre-pandemic? That's another issue. But still, the Mets will have the money, and they'll have the money to compete and maybe supersede some of the other twenty-nine teams, even the Yankees. And for a Met fan to see their team outbidding the Yankees for a top-tier uh, level free agent, I mean, come on, what we we're yeah. not. That is so huge. Absolutely. And, and be a big game changer. And and I, I don't know where that's going to go. Either. No one knows, but you keep hearing about DJ LeMayu. I mean, if, wouldn't that be something if there's a, compet, a, a bidding war between the Mets and Yankees for DJ LeMayu? That'd be yeah. something else, you know. And, and I know in baseball that, the last two yep. years, you know. Yep. Yeah. And I mean that. That's. I know that the media and I keep telling people. I warn people. Just because the media wants it, just because you and I are talking about exactly. it, doesn't doesn't mean it's a reality. Remember that. No. That's, no. And 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 DJ LeMahieu, you'd have to probably overpay and maybe overpay significantly to have him cross yeah. town. Yeah. But you know, when you when you look, you know, there's reports earlier today. You know, uh, G- JT Real Muto's hip is fully recovered. Very mm. scary. Catchers right. with hips. Very scary. Yeah. To me, and I want to see where you would go. Let's assume the Mets can reel in two big fish. And that's mm. not a crazy assumption now. No. I think Je- I think Trevor Bauer's the fish. I yeah. think he's the big fish to go with DeGrom, especially now that DeGrom opted out. And, and I'm not saying he's going to leave, but mm. I think he changed agencies because if the, you know, the agency's not getting money on the old contract. They no. get money on a new contract. So we know he's looking that way. You need a little leverage. You need to have a plan B. Guys like Bauer, he, he showed a little bit. I know it's a shortened season. I know there's some concerns because he came over to Cincinnati and wasn't, you know, A1 stuff. But to me, Bauer's the first guy. And then after that, I always said it was up the middle. It was about the catching situation. Mm. Now, I'd put LeMahieu right there, and I think LeMahieu would be a really good one. Maybe Real Muto would be your second choice. Then I'd go Springer um, at that point. And, and then after that, I'd go... Uh, Ozuna, because I think Ozuna doesn't fit, even with Cano losing that. No, that he, bat. he's so, a Met. He's a Met nemesis, so they get right. him on their side. That that changes. That'd be good, but I, you know, he's not a center fielder. You need to, and you no, keep. No. Uh, uh, you got uh, uh, Nimmo in center field, fine. But how would you go? Do you look at it that way? How 
what would Rich Mancuso's uh, reeling in the big fish? How would you? What two big fish would you go after? I'd well, say Lemayhu, Lemayhu, and Bauer number one, then Lemayhu. But I don't think Lemayhu's very realistic. No. Now I think I'd focus in on the catcher, but I'd be careful with that contract. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go with this: I, Springer first, and that would wow. fill the, that would be big. Fill the need in the outfield. It's it's it's, it's it would be great because. He's a New York almost type of guy out of Connecticut too. Yep. But besides that, he he's a leadoff hitter, which would uh, enable them to if they have to trade Nimmo, they could if they get Springer. That would help. But and look, Springer's got the statistics. He's got the you know everything about him. We know what George Springer could do. Then I go Trevor Bauer definitely in a rotation. Uh, Trevor Bauer. So it's either Springer or Bauer first, but I think Springer first and. I would stay away from Ramuto. As much as Met fans want to see the best hitting catcher in baseball, supposedly, in their lineup, uh, that he's injury prone. And you just mentioned it, Mike. So I'd stay away from him. There are so many other viable catchers out there. Yeah, every catcher out there right now that's available is over the age of 30. Every right. catcher out there, some of them are injury prone. The guy right. I like for the Mets to, to, to uh, command their pitching staff as their starting catcher, James McCann. I like him. Uh, uh, I talked to Gio Gonzalez numerous times during the season with the White Sox when he was this past season, and even now, and he felt the same way, that McCann is a great defensive catcher and also knows how to call a game for a pitcher. And Gio said there have been many instances, and he had an off year with the 60-game season, that James McCann was the right guy to have behind the plate. It said, this was big what he said. McCann was the best catcher he's had behind him during, in, wow. a, in a game. And that was wow. big coming from Gio, the veteran. Right. Okay? And he won't cost so, and he won't cost as much as Real Muto. So No, that's another thing. Though money right now to the Mets doesn't appear to be the issue. It's just getting the for now. the proper nucleus there. Uh, on, on that roster, the right team. So, yeah, I like McCann over that. And now we keep hearing about Lindor and all the talks about getting Lindor, huh. Lindor. I, I just don't, first of all, you got him, you're going to have to sign him to keep him, obviously. Now, I don't see need for that. Yet Rosario might be not like he was, you know, that he's not the, 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 the prize shortstop uh, that the Mets thought, you know, he's kept his streaks up and down, and you got Jimenez. I love Jimenez. The kid had a great rookie season. We know that, okay? But I And then they got the kid Mercado, right? The young kid down in the system, too. They could keep coming up soon, the young kid. But I, I'd stay away from the Lindor. I'd stay away from it. And I don't even think the Indians are going to trade Lindor. I can't see them, even though they might be in a rebuilding phase. I don't see Maybe, them. Maybe more towards spring training. I'll go one step further. The Mets, the one downfall, look, the Mets can make the Mets can make it through free agency, and they don't have to hire somebody, I don't believe, until they find the right person. Maybe they could even wait till you know, January. Maybe I'm, I'm overstating it. I don't think a, a, a president or a GM is going to argue coming in well, we signed Bauer before you got here, or we signed um, this guy. Now, I know that that's probably not what they want to do, but again, going back, they're not built for trades. Arenado, Lindor, all these mm. deals you see the guys at Baseball Night in New York and fans put out there. I talked to someone who knows the Rockies system. They're going to want pitching. They're going to want McNeil. They're not going to yeah. want Jerry's Familia and Brett Beatty 
and uh, and and guys. I mean, come on, you know they, they're not going to want just the but JD Man. Davis. I love I love JD Davis. I, I do he's a too. Great guy. It already and, knows how how I feel about him. I uh, give him JD's third base. Great, give him third base. Fit. Right. What, yeah. what has he done? Base. Right. He's been great at third, and he had an off season. He admitted to me. I wrote about that last week. He had a very bad off. Yeah, he knows it. He was chasing pitches. He just the timing. He doesn't know. It, it's baseball. They're creatures of habit, whatever it be. Stick with them. You, you, you don't get rid of JD. You keep him in there. He's a good part of that lineup. Um, I don't see the Mets going in, making trades like Arandando or, or even Lindor. And part of it, too, is. These teams, they might the potential trades. You're always hearing again about giving up prospects. And what did Sandy say during the press conference? What did he say in the initial press conference, Mike? We are not yeah. going to – we are going to stay with our prospects. We're going to stay with our draft picks. That's one thing you cannot do. That's one thing that Brody did that, that was terrible. We've talked about it. I wrote about it. You have to build – you can't give up. The comment Sandy made was, we're going to treat them like our husbands. And I love that comment, you know? Right. <laughs> Just because uh, right. he's showing that that's what they, they, they their approach is to hold on prospects and draft picks because we've seen so many of them leave this, the Mets in the last two years on the Brody's uh, reign. And, then, right. and, and some of them may be better than others, but still you're giving up the future. And you just can't solely depend on free agency to fill your gaps. You have to build within. The Yankees have shown that year after year what they can do with their minor league system. The Rays have done it, as I said. The Royals did it a few years ago. So did the Cubs. So many teams are going that route, too. The complexion of the game has changed. Free agency contracts are not going to be as big as they were either. You're talking about the Mets. It might be a little different because they have to regain the resources, the money to do it. But you got to hold on to your prospects. So before you think about trading Lindor, before you think about uh, getting Arenado and getting getting guys like that, think about what you got that they want. Okay, and you right. just can't give it away that way. That easy. Absolutely. The as we as we wrap up here, Rich, uh, there was the talk at the press conference about the Mets being iconic, and what does that mean? That's a great mission statement, like Sandy Alderson said. And I think fans are and the media are going to get crazy on this because to become iconic, you need to have some kind of sustainable five, six, seven, eight decade long streak. The Yankees of 1996 were not iconic. The Yankees became or moved into that iconic realm in 1998. And then by winning and consistently getting to the world series and being a 95 plus win team that made the playoffs, they became who they were. It was a process. The Mets haven't had their 1996 moment yet. And that's what this should really be about at this point. It's mm-hmm. about winning in the short term without compromising the future, finding your executives that are going to build and work with you to build the infrastructure so you're better at decision-making with analytics. Your farm system has some kind of pro- not only uh, a drafting, but a development plan. The Mets don't develop players very well. No. That's the other thing. They haven't developed a reliever in over 10 years. I mean, no. they haven't developed their reliever. And now they've developed some good positional players. But pitching-wise, it's been a problem. I mean, pitching has been – since the big guys came up in 15 and 16, they haven't really done much with the pitching. No, let's see if David. Haven't. Let's see if David Peterson's different. So, to me, chill on the iconic. Let's see them go out and take a roster that has some really good bones. And 
make the tournament every year. This is not, I mean, Andy Dartino had said something about, well, the Dodgers took eight years under the Guggenheim group to make the World Series. But you know what? Getting into the tournament, that's all we can ask for. That's it, do you, right. Do you want them to make a, win a championship? I know Steve Cohen said between three and five years. Of course I want them to win a championship. So do it you. So does, every, yeah, so does everyone else. Right. But if you're in the tournament every year, like the Dodgers have been in the tournament every year, that's where it starts. And then you know what? We'll figure out how to win the tournament because sometimes, you know what, Rich? Bad bounce. Yeah. It's Wild not like that. You know, Mike, and it's, it, 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 you bring up the point because it's not like the Yankees because every year if they don't win the World Series, their season is a, is a, is a, have a waste. Yeah, it's a waste. You get in the postseason. That's the goal of any team, every player. Get in the postseason. That's what you should ask for first. That's what you want to see first. And that's uh, you take it from there because uh, we all know there might be an expanded playoff system again. They might go to that format. I'm hearing things that that what baseball might end up doing, which increases the odds of someone, a team getting in, even with a team again under a 500 record. Right. Uh, so but we all know once you get into that postseason, anything can happen. And of course, if you have the pitching, you can go pretty far. And we know that happens a lot. We saw that with the Nationals two years ago with that great right. pitching staff they had. The Mets have the capability of doing that. The Mets have the capability now with all the resources to be in that postseason almost every year, if not every year. Uh, and right. that's the thing that Mets fans have to look forward to. If you're a Mets fan right now, you hear Steve Cohn, you hear Steve Albert or Sandy Alderson say what they had to see. They, they, they said their piece two weeks ago at the initial press conference. It went off really well. A lot of positive vibes. Will that carry through? Well, we've heard things like this from the previous regime. But this time, there's the difference. Postseason, you can expect because the Mets now have the resources to do it. Right. Uh, one last thing, Rich. So you wrote about Robinson Cano mm. uh, over at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Right. Uh, I still think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, even if he never plays another game again, I'm sure he's going to try to come back in a couple of years. Uh, I don't think that's going to be easy. Um, I can't even begin to explain why he would take a steroid that was like one of the original steroids that people yeah. used back in the, the 90s, an easy one to detect. I mean, this has been talked about. Uh, who knows? And I don't think we're ever going to find out, at least not in the near term. I still think a guy that's top 10 and wins above replacement all time at second base, second in home runs, and probably would have been the home run leader over Jeff Kent if he played another couple of years and may still get to that point. Uh, a guy that compares to Ryan Sandberg and, 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 and Robbie Alomar, maybe not Joe Morgan, but in that Robbie Alomar you know, type of thing, Lou Whitaker is not a Hall of Famer, but some people think should be. Uh, I still think he's a Hall of Famer. I think coming here as a former Yankees, always tough. I don't think he was ever going to get the – unless he was great, he was always going to get trashed. That was always He's the case. That's why you to, have to be careful. You have to be careful to, taking Yankees. Was it close to 3,000 hits as well? Yeah. yeah so that's so, true. Yeah. So that – so on the way out here, your thoughts on Robinson Cano, his legacy, not as a Met, but his baseball legacy yeah, well, and where you, you feel. Know, I, unfortunately, Mike, the legacy is going to be remembered about two steroids dispensions, and that, that's a shame. And why he did this, who knows? And we'll never, like you just said, we may never know. Never going to hear from him about it. Um, my people talk, people I talk to said that they, that they were caught off guard. They had no idea. As far as his legacy, look, 
uh, he goes now under the same category as uh, as Bonds and McGuire and Solcher and all those other guys. So I don't see even him getting any whole, uh, Hall of Fame consideration when he hangs it all up, when he quits. I think it's a shame. This was a talented, one of the most talented hitters I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, great defensive second baseman. Made a staple here in New York, of course, with the Yankees. And it wasn't the uh, same player when he came over here to the Mets. It's just a shame. I think his legacy is tarnished. A Hall of Fame uh, induction I don't see happening. And he's now going to be remembered as Bye Bye Robbie because of steroids. That's what he's going to remember about. And that's a shame. Yep, absolutely. Well, Rich, MetsMorizedOnline.com, New York Sports Day, LatinoSports.com. Keep up the good work. Happy Thanksgiving. Hang you in there. Too, Mike. Spring training. Yeah. Spring training's only a few months away. We hope so. Then. We hope so. We hope so. I'm going to put money know. down. I, I mean, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm as uh uh as much as uh, as anyone else looking forward to it. I just hope so because I tell you, this was the first year in 21 consecutive years that I wasn't at the ballpark, and that hurt. Right. That really hurt. Know. Not being there and doing it from home, it's a totally different ball game, and it's just not the same. But we got to remember, Mike, we are we have to stay healthy. We have to stay safe. That's more important than baseball and anything else right now. We don't have a right. health, you know, me, all of us, people yep. we love, whatever. Then it's nothing. Yep. Then we're talking I about agree. this stuff means absolutely nothing. So, that's, uh, yeah. That's for sure. Keep up the great work. I always love coming on with you. And thank all of your uh, listeners for uh, uh, their support to me and reading my content. And, yeah, it could be reached at Twitter, Ring786, Facebook.com, Instagram. You know, I'm out there. Everyone knows where I am. And and have a great – happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much, my friend. And be safe. Same for you. Let's go, Max. Bye-bye. All right. That's uh, Rich Mancuso. You guys can check them out all the time. Uh, you can check them out at Metsmerized Online. You can check them out at Latino Sports, New York Sports Day at a you know, publication near you. Great stuff. All right. Let's take a quick break. Come back. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Always enjoy Rich Mancuso. Always enjoy what he has to bring to the table. So Rich Mancuso at Ring Seven Eight Six. Check him out on New York Sports Day at Latino, you know, Latino Sports. Also at MetsmerizedOnline.com. So uh, that'll be it. Uh, hope you hope you enjoyed the program. A lot to uh, get through today, and I think we did. And We'll be basically sitting back, and the two things we'll be looking at, and and who knows, I mean, if this will happen before Thanksgiving, are there going to be any baseball ops decisions? I think there's things happening. Don't listen to the media. 
There's a lot of names. You already saw Cohen dispute the Chernoff name earlier this week. You see a lot of people trying to create names because they want to help their buddies maybe get some pub and jobs and create clicks at a time when there's not a lot going on. Media's in the business of clicks. So you're going to see things reported as news that are opinion. This show is clearly opinion-based. I tell you that. So you use it for what it's worth. Doesn't mean what I say is going to happen or is even remotely happening. I told you this earlier. We don't know if DJ Lemire, who's even interested in the Mets. So to pit the Mets versus the Yankees, nobody has an idea about that. You heard us talk that with Rich Mancuso. So just take a step back. Uh, the plan was to have a Thanksgiving show. I'm working on getting Bill Madden, a former Daily News columnist who had his book out about Tom Seaver on the program. Uh, that's not going to happen this weekend. That's going to push it off to December. So stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. Uh, Bill Madden will be joining us. We'll have a chance to go back down to Tom Seaver memory lane. I know we did that back in the summer when Tom passed away. But in the off season, it's really a good way to really take a step back and and revisit that and talk about that. And what better way to do it with a longtime journalist, uh, very popular figure here in the New York area, known more for his Yankees coverage than George Steinbrenner. And it's been a while since I talked to him. I talked to him about 10 years ago when the Steinbrenner book came out. So the plan is to have Bill Madden on sometime before Christmas, and, and we'll talk about the new Tom Seaver book, and we'll get to that. But, of course, you know, sit back. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm feeling there'll be some news, but there's a possibility our next – broadcast won't be until after the holidays because I don't know what is really going to come about of the Thanksgiving holiday weekend uh, when it comes to the Mets and their search and free agency. But we're standing by and we're going to be here and the plan is to be here every week and there's been so much to talk about. But uh, let's see what the next few days uh, comes about. And uh, look, once Thanksgiving's over, you know between after Thanksgiving holiday and and Christmas, there's going to be news. There's going to be a lot of podcasts. There's going to be a lot of things to talk about. So sit tight and stay tuned. Of course, I want to thank one more time, Rich Mancuso, our friend, at Ring786 on Twitter, New York Sports Day, MetsMarsOnline.com, as well as Latino Sports. You can check me out all the time at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. Mike Silva Media is the handle. You can check me out at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet, of course, anytime. Send me a personal email, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And if you can leave me a review on Apple, good, bad, or indifferent, greatly appreciate it. You can get me on Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast very soon. Till then, take care, everybody.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.